0: Okay, yeah, Jordan, we gave him a slurry of, of verses there. He texted me this morning. He's like, are you sure you want me to read all these? I'm like, it's not that many. But yes, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wide swatch of, uh, of verses that take us, like he said, almost from cover to cover in the Bible. Um, these are not proof texts. These are just a few texts, many, many more could have been chosen that show us that all throughout the scriptures, um, there's this thread and this major thrust of multiplication all the way from the beginning of the Bible. It's God's original plan to, it's the first command he gives Adam and Eve when he makes them as the cherry on top of the Sunday of his creation, all right? It's all good. He makes us alone in his image and then he gives them a command and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And that's what I'm preaching on this morning is multiplication. That's one of God's main charges to us as his people and it has been since before Israel was even created. The first man and woman were called to multiply, what, God's image, us, human beings throughout the earth to fill the earth with God's image so that we might be co-rulers with him over his good creation. We know that we went astray in Adam and Eve. They rebelled against God and his good word and everything under their authority, all creation cracked and fell along with him in that rebellion. We still feel big time the reverberations in our hearts and in the world around us that we live in. Just Just look at the headlines today. I haven't even looked at them yet. I guarantee you, you won't have to go far. Front front page news is going to be some tragedy. Um, we still feel that today, but God's plan, He continued, and uh, it will prevail. And so, in Genesis twelve, we see He, as the, in a sense, kind of starts over, in a sense, with Adam, with Abraham, and He says, "I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you." Um, and we and we see that call that was given to Adam, it again and again to Abraham and his children and his progeny to multiply and to fill the earth with the image of God so that all nations might know who God is. And then we, as Jordan said, go to the New Testament. We go all the way from Genesis. That carries through all the way the Old Testament to, um, to Matthew, where our Lord comes and does what Adam couldn't do, what Abraham and his, and his children couldn't do but pointed to. And he comes and he lives a life of perfect obedience to the Father as the second Adam, the second human, as it were. And he lives in our place, and he dies in our place, and he rises in our place. And then he gives this commission, and it's often called in Matthew 28 the Great Commission, but I refer to it as the second Great Commission, because God's already given this, but we failed the first time. But Christ will not fail. He will not fail. And he says to us in a very similar but different way, be fruitful and multiply. But instead of saying it that way, instead of have babies, which... He's blessed some of us with the ability to do, and it's always a blessing from the Lord when that happens, but he says, and raise those up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He says, go, in a sense, have spiritual babies. In other words, go make disciples. Go fill the earth again with my image uh, that all nations might know, not just Israel, that all might know my name and be renewed in my image. And then 2 Timothy 2, as Jordan read, or sorry, Acts 6, we see the early church, we see the disciples multiplying. God is adding to their number daily, and they, as they preach the gospel and make disciples, and then in the in the epistles, um, a few years later, we see 2 Timothy two. Paul basically speaks to, he speaks to the church, and he says, he says, uh, seek out men who are making disciples, that they might also, that their disciples might also go and make disciples. In other words, that's the key. the The, the sermon title is not addition. The sermon title this morning for you guys, and, I, and I'm hoping to put a lot of practical stuff in here. So hopefully it'll be something we can return to. If you wanna to listen to it again, we're gonna dig into it over the months and the years and honestly over the entirety of our lives together. We're gonna to turn this flywheel. We're gonna dig into this. We're gonna build into this. We're gonna pray into this. We're gonna blow on this coal that the Holy Spirit might make us a multiplying people. Um, but he's saying, I want you to, to raise up men and women who make disciples and then who are also going on to make disciples, So it's not just, the call is not just to make a disciple, but to make disciples that what? Make disciples. So in other words, to make pregnant disciples. Can I just put it that way sort of crassly, but it sticks in the head. So from Genesis to Revelation, it's this not proof text, but this thread and thrust all throughout the warp and the woof and the texture of God's plan for all things. Because his Genesis to Revelation is the arc of history. It's what God is doing in space and time. And it converges on Christ. And because of Christ, we are called to take up that original commission and to see it over all, spread over all the earth, multiplication, that's our call. God's plan never was and is still not for his children to simply evangelize. A lot of times we think, what's his call for me? What ought to come out of my lips? We think evangelization. We think maybe four spiritual laws, the Roman road, all that's good stuff. But it's not for us to simply evangelize. I hope you started to see that in what Jordan read and what I just said. It's for us to multiply. And I'm going to talk the rest of the time about what that looks like. Um, And this happens by making disciples who then go and make disciples. Um, This, not just evangelism, this is our commission. Jesus didn't say, go evangelize. I have everything, I've conquered all, I have all authority, I win, and so in me, you win, I've conquered the grave, I'm alive again, there's nothing more to fear, therefore go evangelize. He didn't say that. Evangelization is part of it. Evangelize the gospel, speaking and preaching the good news with our words and deeds, that's part of it, but his, the fact remains, it's not the great commission. The great commission is to go and make disciples, and we would say, who go then, and make disciples, to have spiritual children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on. So our strategy at Sojourn um, is, is very simply, in a word, it's multiplication. It's the title of this sermon. This is the third and the last sermon in a Life Together series that all the Sojourn churches in Houston, there are five of us now, kind of six if you count Brazewood, was just planted out of us recently. They're still a sapling, um, but they're a plant in a different and contiguous part of the city in Brazewood, Bel Air. Um, and so we are all preaching this morning on multiplication. We want to be a people who multiply. It is uh, really, in a word, our strategy. So to break that down, we want to make disciples. Think about it on the individual level. We want to, person to person, we want to be about, as a people, making disciples. We want to be about multiplying parishes. And this is in the literature. This is literally verbiage on our website and in our, um, in our training material. We wanna make disciples, we wanna multiply parishes like we've just seen with Justin and uh, we wanna be at parishes that birth other parishes, that send out other parishes into other neighborhoods and into the neighborhoods that we're already in so that we might saturate those areas. Little, little church families in homes that go out from those homes into those neighborhoods and workplaces in those areas. And then we wanna plant pregnant churches. We wanna plant, like we, we just kind of have started to plant braisewood. We want braisewood to then go and in about five, three to five years, plant another church. That then goes and plants another church. So that's planting pregnant. And we want to multiply pregnant too, parishes. And we want to make disi- pregnant disciples, okay? Um, let me just touch down before really jumping into the nuts and bolts of all this on two brief passages briefly that I mentioned, just by way of encouragement. I hope this sermon encourages you, fills you, but encourages you as well. That's, that's my desire. Um, as well as convicting. It's been convicting to me to, to look at, and, and I think it'll be convicting to pray, pray over together tonight. Um, but the four alls, I just call them the four alls of Matthew 28, the great second commission. Um, Jesus says, and I've, I've taught this passage um, in particular, and I've said this before, but we often miss the fact that he gives charges, but before the charges, what's the first all of the four alls that he says that's so significant that we can often skip over? He says, all authority has been given me. Not most, not 99%, all. Jesus Christ has every scintilla and iota and modicum. I'm trying to think of other words that I every crumb, every molecule of authority in the entire universe. Okay? He has all of it. He has all authority. And so he says, Look, I have all authority. Therefore, go do these things. Go make disciples, what? What's the second all? Of all nations of all nations. There's no nation that I don't want you to go into and make disciples of. Because I have all authority, you now have the power to preach the gospel, and people are going to be drawn to me. And again, as Jordan, as was implicit in what he said in his testimony, that's the Lord's work. Our work and our privilege is to preach the gospel and to go and make disciples, and that will happen as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, So go into all nations, and we have Almost all nations, I mean, we're closing in on a lot of them here, just in this sort of three or five square mile area right here, Um, teaching them, the third all, to obey everything or all that I've commanded you. That's part of, a huge part of what making disciples is. It's not just burping the four spiritual laws on somebody, knocking on a door. It's teaching them to be Christ followers in everything that we've been given walking them through the whole scripture, all of life, walking with them. We're gonna talk a lot more about that. And then the last all, not the least important. Behold, I am with you. I have all authority, first one, last one. Behold, I am with you always. I'm never going to leave. You're not doing this alone. Remember, I'm the king. I have all authority. I rose from the dead. I'm reigning, you with me. I'm not leaving you. I'm sending you my spirit. And one day you will see me face to face. And one day you will give account to how Did you obey this commission in charge to make disciples, not just to evangelize? So it's what we want to be all about. Um, And then 2 Timothy 2, again, just briefly, that that second passage I wanted to touch down on after, after Matthew 28. Paul basically says, I want you to have spiritual children and spiritual grandchildren. Entrust the gospel to these men and women who will go and do the same. So we want to see that sort of replication and multiplication. Do we have, here's the question, do you have spiritual children do you have spiritual grandchildren? I want to be able to give us just a few tools today that will lead to more tools that we will work together on over the course of our lifetime, I pray, to, um, to help that happen more effectively. Um, Bob McNabb in a beautiful book, Spiritual Multiplication, which I've, I've referenced before and will reference in this sermon again. Um, he says, Jesus didn't say, come after me and don't do bad stuff. Cuss, do drugs, sleep around, whatever we could think of a million other things. He said, come after me and I will make you what? fishers of men. This is it. This is our mission and our commission. Rather than asking, are we growing? He says, rather than asking, Hey, are we growing? Is our number increasing? Can that not be the question? Can the question be, he said, we ought to be asking, are we and am I leading others to Christ and seeing others mature in Christ that then lead others to Christ and see others mature in Christ? You see, um, that's, that should be our metric. Right there. Are we reproducing people who are reproducing themselves, really reproducing little Christs? Not, not leading people to us, but leading people to Jesus and then seeing them do the same and, and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded, right? Am I leading others to Christ, one? Two, am I helping others mature in Christ? And three, am I maturing myself in Christ? In part by doing those first two things. Am I leading others and seeing others maturing in Christ? That's a huge part of our maturation and, and discipleship personally, is discipling other people. Okay, so vision, vision. What could this look like in our lifetime? I wanna give you some huge numbers. If you've been here for for a year plus, you've heard part of this before, some of these numbers, but unless you have a photographic memory, you know, auditorily, this will be good review for some of us. Um, Let me give you just a few from multiplying parishes, right? We started with one parish in 2015. Our goal was to get to six um, in... uh, three years. So 2018, last year, we're still, we're just at seven now. So we're a little behind the curve, but a year four, which would be this year, we we're looking at 10. So from six to 10 parishes, I think, honestly, we're about to multiply, God willing, another one out of our parish um, in January or early 2000, this next year, 2020. And I think we will see some more parishes multiply this year. Um, and so I think we'll be at 10 this, this coming year. We're looking at six, that's six parishes. Um, uh, excuse me, in, in six years, so in 2021, um, we want to look at 20 parishes, double every two years. That's what I'm doing. I'm do- I think we should double parishes about every two years. That's our goal. Um, in, in eight years from 2015, um, so that's 2023, we're looking at 40 parishes if we just double that. If, ev- if every parish is replicating, multiplying every two years, I think it's a reasonable goal. I'll be 44 years old, so that's 2023. We'll have, God willing, if we're multiplying, um, 40 parishes. Uh, let me give you a few more. Just extrapolating from that, um, when I'm 54, here's the, here's the number. You just keep doubling every two years if parishes are, are multiplying every two years. 1,280 parishes when I'm 54. The numbers get, get big when you start turning that flywheel. That's why we're not talking addition. They start small. But if you stay faithful and keep doing it, we're not talking megachurch, guys. We're talking saturation. And you can start to see why. In... Uh, In uh, 22 years from our inception, from 2015, I'll be 58. The number is 5,120 parishes. Plant churches, that's parishes. Those are small house churches. Plant churches, one us when we started, right? In five years, our goal was two churches. So it's been four years. And I think by next year, we'll have God willing and his grace, um, a a fully planted church in Brazewood. That's 2022. And then um, in 10 years, from 2015, we're looking at four, just doubling. So every five years, looking at um, multiplying out one church and then having those churches every five years, multiply out, it's reasonable, okay? Um, let's say a church is about 100 people. Let's just say that, all right? So uh, in 15 years, I'll be uh, 51. We're looking at eight churches, not that impressive, all right? Um, when I'm 61 in 25 years from 2015, I'll be, I'll be 61, 32 churches, Still not that impressive, but kind of, oh, oh, okay. Um, we're starting to see some saturation. That's just Galleria, by the way. We're a family of churches. This is just Galleria numbers, all right? Um, and we're on pace with these things. In 35 years, when I'm 71, who knows if I'll still be up here. Uh, hopefully, I'll have passed on the, the baton to someone else, but I'll be 71 years old. And hopefully, the flywheel will still be turning. We're looking at 128 churches. Listen to this, though. In 45 years from now, this is a multi-generational vision, uh, 512 churches, 55 years from now, 2,048, 60 years from now, 4,096 churches. So it's like the mustard plant that Paul talked about, that Jesus talked about, but that Paul, our Paul, Paul Ramsey, who's in, the pastor of Sojourn Braisewood, talked about so helpfully a couple months ago. And I think Lauren Baker was in California, in Colorado, and sent a picture about beware mustard plants because they're invasive. We think of it as a mustard tree. He said the kingdom of God is like a mustard plant, though, and it's invasive. It takes over. And he used the example of kudzu on the East Coast, on the mid-Atlantic states. You drive up Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia. It, kudzu just takes over. And that's what the mustard plant does. And we can see with these numbers, that's what we want to see both with disciples, with multiplying parishes, and with planting churches that plant churches. So these numbers are big, but to get these numbers, we need to get small and stay small. okay. To plant churches, we must multiply parishes. And to multiply parishes, friends, this is so basic, it's almost embarrassing to say, but we must make disciples and multiply disciples. Make disciples that make disciples. Um, That is, we can't just add disciples, we need to multiply them. This was Jesus's strategy. In the classic book, you may have read it. Some of you in the group this size will have. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. He talks about how this was Jesus's plan for world domination. This was Jesus' plan to do what the first Adam didn't do and failed to do, but he would accomplish. He spent three years, he had three years of intense ministry in a 33-year in a short but perfect and perfectly fulfilled life. He spent most of it working with wood and stone, first of all. Waiting for the Father's timing, growing. You may be in that phase. He spent the last three years of his life doing what? Yes, preaching to the masses. Was there a lot of fruit there? Not really. Healing people wherever he went, Yes. But the main focus of his time and energy was what? On 12 men. 12 men. And Robert Coleman says, when you see how that multiplied based on the amount of of time that he spent, it all of a sudden starts to make a ton of sense. Um, He spent the majority of his three years in ministry with those 12 men. So I've shared this before, but it bears repeating from McNabb again. So Jesus discipled 12 men. Let's get practical. Your goal is to win one person to Christ every year. God does the winning. God does the winning, right? But our goal is to make disciples to fulfill. He's with us. He has all authority. He's never going to leave us. He's going to do this, right? He's calling us to be faithful and to open our mouths and open our lives up. So one, one lead one person to Christ every twelve years, um, once every tw- once uh, four or twelve years, um, so twelve times over twelve years, and to have them do the same. So that's the key. Every year, see it, raise up a disciple, see them come to Christ, mature them in the Lord. Disciples can disciples with Jesus. Disciples started not Christians. Right? A lot of times we think disciple, discipling someone means it's a believer. No, a lot of times it's, it's someone who's, they're just willing to meet with you. They're willing to share life with you. Okay, God's drawing them to you. It could be a believer that needs to be matured in the Lord. All right. Um, but year one, you have it's two of you. Year two, it's four of you. If they are also going on every year to make one disciple. Year three, it's eight of you. Again, numbers not impressive. Year six, it's 64 of you. After 12 years, 4,096. That's a bigger number. That's just 12 years. That's just 12 years with each person seeing one person disciple per year, okay? But that's the key, is training them up to do the same. He says, you'd have personally discipled 12 people, but you would have impacted thousands. He says this, God can do much more through you than with you. The key is not evangelization, though that is necessary, it's multiplication, or shall I say, replication, so make a disciple, but that whole time you're telling them and letting them know with everything, I'm doing this with you so that you can do this with others and go pass this on, you see? And we're doing that with parishes too, and we're doing that with churches too. That's our goal, not because it's of us, because it's part of the warp and woof of God's plan to retake creation for the, for the name of Christ the King, okay? So let me paint a scenario for you and give you some simple but astonishing numbers. Um, 410 people were surveyed in McNabb's, um, survey. He was, a, he was a missionary in Thailand and now focuses on mobilizing the church here for, for uh, fulfilling the Great Commission. So highly, people they called highly effective people, the minimum number of people that those people must have led to Christ in the past three years was two. two. Two people. That highly effective people, they just had to have a label for it. In three years, you must have led minimum two people to Christ, okay? Minimum number of their disciples who must have led someone to Christ in the past three years? Two, all right? Minimum number of spiritual generations below them? Three, okay? Three. See if I can hold up the right amount of numbers here, the right amount of fingers. Okay, here's the thing. Only 12% were highly effective. Only 12% of all the 410 they surveyed were highly effective, okay? McNabb says this. He says, get this, just hone in on this with me for a second. I know this is a lot. Just focus in on this, what he says right here. We've calculated, if you're highly effective, you've led in the past three years two people to the Lord, and your disciples, two people in the past three years. We've calculated that if 22-year-old, if 22, um, oh, we have calculated that if a 22-year-old huh, will make disciples at the same modest rate our highly effective disciple makers have proved possible, get this, guys, they will impact 22,619,000 537 people by the time they are 78 years old. Guys, there's a reason Jesus did it this way. Many of the people we surveyed, he says, exceeded the minimum thresholds needed to be considered highly effective. They were leading more than two people per year on average. More than two people every three years, I should say, on average to the Lord. Um, Even if you only experienced half of the level of effectiveness in multiplying, as our calculations assume, that's one person to Christ every three years. And your, and your disciples the same, you will still have impacted millions of people in your lifetime. And not just shared Christ with them, see them come to Christ, you, you disciple them. You're teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. So let me give you, so let me transfer from, we've gone from big numbers to vision to, okay, how do we do this? We, we go small, we disciple, we spend time, we give our lives away, we train up for those to train up. But let me, let me just present some challenges and then move into the gospel, the beating heart of this and every message I pray that I, ever comes out of my mouth. Um, some challenges. Evangelism is a challenge. That's the first challenge I want to present to you. Okay, I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag a bit on what that might mean. That might sound kind of strange to you. Why would evangelism be a challenge to discipleship? Because a lot of times we think evangelism is discipleship. And a lot of times we think that the Great Commission is the commission and the command and the call to evangelize. No, evangelization is part of the larger process. Um, It's not just sharing the good news of the fact that God has made a way for us to know him through no good of our own. In fact, in the face of our rebellion and sin and egregious evil and wickedness and dishonesty and lust and perverseness, and I could go on and on and on, just, ex, just excavating my own heart. In the face of all that, God has made a way for us to be at peace with him and more than that, to be adopted as favored sons and daughters into his beautiful family through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, his life his death, his resurrection from the grave. He wins, and through him, if we believe on him and not ourselves anymore, we win. And we get to share that with anyone and everyone, all nations who will listen. And that is a beautiful thing. That's why we're here. But that is part of, that's like step one in discipleship. He says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you in Matthew 28. So evangelism is one challenge, that we kind of have a misperception that that's what we've been called to do. No, we've been called to make disciples who make disciples. Second thing is a holy huddle mentality. Y'all, I know that's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. We in our flesh have a tendency, I struggle with this daily, we wanna keep our own. On a church-wide scale, we wanna get as big as a pastor. My flesh says, let's, get, let's keep everyone here. I don't wanna send out Paul and those resources. But then when I look at this and I look at the call and I look at how Christ laid his own life down, and that's where I'm going in a second, um, I say, oh, oh, wait a minute. No, Lord. No, you've called us to to raise up and send out, to raise up and send out, to raise up and send out on every level, personally, parish level, church level, and to train them to do the same. And when we look at the numbers, it's really encouraging. Um, We have language of when we see a parish multiply or when, in my own heart, when... When we send out the elders, I feel it here, and I see, I hear it in some of in our parish a little bit jokingly, and I and I've heard it, and I've heard it in our church, and I and I hear it in my own heart when we go and send out, and I've heard it from some of you when we go and send Paul out and those resources, and we're still a little sapling, four years old as it were, and we need, we need, I need, I need people, I need dollars, I need gifts, I need, you know, I need all these. We hear, we want, we want to keep. Our own. That was, by the way, that was a what about Bob, The sort of a little bit, some of you can, I need, I need, give me, give me, I need. Have you ever seen that? If you have not seen that movie, watch it. But we wanna keep our own. We wanna keep our own, but it's not ours. We're given resources to cultivate and to send out. And that's cast your bread on the waters that in many days it might return to you. That's just the economy of the kingdom is to raise up and to cast out. And that's how we sow the seed in every way, with our money, with our time, with our talents, with our Disciples, with our parishes, with our church, with with the churches that God has blessed us with. Okay, so we need not just a church mentality, but what a kingdom mentality. The King has called us to see His glory spread out over the earth as the waters cover the sea. Okay, and this is one of the ways that happens. All right, G.K. Chesterton um, he he points out the, uh, the that the symbol of Um, much Far Eastern religion in his day over 100 years ago was the snake eating its tail. G.K. Chesterton was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, about 20 years older, uh, Englishman. And he talks about how, and that's just such an ingrown, it's an incurvatus, say it's a curved in on yourself symbol. The snake eating its tail, it's a circle. Nothing can get out. It's self-focused, okay? It's self-focused. If I focus on myself long enough, eventually I I achieve nirvana, okay? That's a, a... that's just a, an utter caric, uh, caricature and simplification of one of the Far Eastern religions. But um, the cross, by contrast, and Paul mentioned this in a different context a few weeks ago, is out, it's radiating outward in every cardinal direction. It's the symbol of Christianity is God who came down and was so vulnerable with us that he was willing to be by his own plan and purpose using our evil and sin, creating a way for us through that evil and sin to know him and to be saved on the cross, nailed to a cross like an insect pinned to a, a placard with his hands outstretched and his legs pointed in every cardinal direction saying, come to me and, and, and my power through this death and my coming resurrection will be such that all nations all nations will become mine once again because I have all authority. So um, Christianity is utterly outward facing, it's utterly self-giving. Um, Another challenge is thinking that it's our job to convince people of the gospel. That's God's job. He just calls us to go and make disciples saying, I have all authority and I'm gonna be with you always, so go do this. We will, even when we, it looks like we're failing, we're winning. He's working. We're just called to be faithful. And it's the Holy Spirit who draws. We're called to scatter the sea. We can't make plants grow. Only God does that. Um, another and final example of a challenge before getting to um, the next section here and then, and then wrapping up is that um, taking the name of Christ, this is a big one for us, guys, so tune in for a sec. Tune in until I'm finished. (laughs) Another challenge for us is compromise. Taking the name of Christ, being called a Christian, but not doing what he says and not following him like he calls us to and not becoming like him and not walking where he walks and not doing what he does and not saying what he says. Pastor Francis Chan, uh, also an author, imagines Jesus saying, hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? He's like, he's going to his disciples and saying this. Don't worry. I don't actually care if you do anything I do or change your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. Okay. We, we laugh because it's so the opposite of what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Two words. Follow me. And what did, in, by and large, what did his disciples do? They just left They just left whatever it was, whether it was coins or fishing nets or their dad waiting to pass on the family biz and just left him in the boat and went and followed him. There's no other call, in other words. There's no third way, but in America, we've convinced ourselves there is a third way that we can follow Christ and call ourselves, that we can call ourselves Christians and put his name on us and be identified by Christ, but not follow him. And that's absolutely not a category. There's only one type of Christian, okay? That's it. Um, what we don't want to hear on the day of judgment is is uh, we, what we don't want to be saying is Lord, Lord, um, um, I, I did this, I did that. I'm am a Christ follower, and for Him to say those terrible words, away from me, I never knew you, you didn't follow me, you, you didn't go and make disciples like I called you to. Okay, um, so so it's a, it's it's a call to every Christian, not just to the ele- not just to the to the elect. We're all Christians are elect. We're called by God, but not just to the special uh, special ops, the elite core. It's the call to all of us to follow him and to make disciples. Um, I also want to say, and I hope this part is particularly encouraging, discipleship's a team sport. We're so individualistic in America. um, So write this down if it helps you to take notes. But discipleship is a team sport. We tend to think, when we think discipleship, we tend to think, okay, me, I need to win people to Christ. With the help of the Holy Spirit, yeah, but me. Mission me. No, but it's we who are called on mission. We are a family that Christ makes of disparate and different peoples. From all over the planet, with all sorts of backgrounds and stories, we are a family together on mission. Um, this is not on you; Christ will do it, but He'll do it through us, not just through you. I want you to hear that, which is one of the reasons that we gather together on Sundays and throughout the week. We want to give you these structures um, to to achieve the Great Commission. Um, it's hard for Americans, and especially Houstonians with our, with our can-do spirit and drive to hear this, but we need to hear it. So there's a book by a Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, um, Extreme Ownership. Uh, and one of the things he says in that book is he says, individuals do not win wars. Teams win wars. And that's one of the things they beat into the Navy SEALs, literally. Um, Bob McNabb, again, and his company found the same in their research, they found that uh, discipleship is not an individual endeavor. It's a team sport. And he gives a couple examples. He says, they were over in Thailand. And he says, there was one time where we had uh, a handful, a couple handfuls, maybe 10. Thai, lost his geese. Uh, didn't know who Jesus was. Into a fellowship, away for a weekend, into a fellowship of dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of Christians. And they were just absorbed in that Christian community. And they, I think, to a man or a woman came to Christ. They all came to know the Lord. They were overwhelmed by the presence of something different. Then they did the opposite a few months later. They invited, they, had a, some, they put something on for like a, a 200 tie that were lost. And uh, it was, they were great, the Christians were greatly outnumbered and hardly anyone came to Christ. And the guy that was the connector for all the lost tie came up and he said, you didn't have nearly enough Christians here. You guys were super outnumbered. And so, there was, so there's something about discipleship where when people are folded into an environment that's created as Christians are loving one another and loving them, it's the way that God made discipleship to happen. Um, so McNabb calls this a go strategy versus a go and bring strategy. And one of the things we want to do in neighborhood parishes and with our church body is to bring folks into the life, this family life that he's created where we're loving each other and loving them. Um, McNabb again, he says, individual laborers are not miniature bodies of Christ. When we study spiritual gifts, we quickly recognize that no believer has all the gifts. And because of this, we need each other. Um, He goes on to say, Jesus did not build individual disciples. He didn't meet Peter before work at the Capernaum Starbucks for a one-on-one meeting and then meet John for a fish sandwich at the local seafood restaurant. Instead, he worked hard to build his followers into a disciple-making team. Jesus' goal was never to build individual disciples. He built a team and expected them to go build other disciple-making teams called churches. Um, This is shown to be the most effective way of winning people to Christ. Uh, If you look at Acts chapter two, the first window we have into the first church, as it were, um, full of the Holy Spirit, it's the last verse of this little window, Acts two, the last verse of Acts two, Acts 247, says that they were together daily, being generous with one another, providing for each other's needs, seeing God at work, being taught by the apostles, breaking bread together, sharing meals, um, worshiping the Lord, constant in prayer. And what was happening? Verse 47 says, and the Lord was adding to their number daily, those who were being saved. It was like, it's like it creates an environment in which people get too close. And they just get sucked into salvation. That's a huge part of discipleship. Okay, so it's not a solo sport. Um, what did Jesus say in John 13? He said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. By this, all people will know. Don't you want to know what this is? By this, all people will know. Can you imagine? They were just probably like hanging on, what's this? Okay. This is, if you have love for one another, if you love one another, one another as I have loved you with my love through the Holy Spirit by faith in me and what I've done for you and who I am. People are going to look at that and they're going to say, uh, I I know that Christ is who he says he is and I want to follow. Um, so two things on this, these discipleship teams need to start small. They did with Jesus and, um, they need to stay small. So we should never stop. We should never graduate to not discipling one to three people ever. Um, it's always one person at a time. We don't want to be looking at these huge numbers, looking at the horizon, which we ought to do, the mission that God's given us of seeing the whole world come to know him, you know, all, all in the world, not every single person, but we want that, but it's, it's not going to happen. But seeing every nation, and every sort of person come to him and spreading the gospel seed far and wide and miss the person right in front of us. It happens one single person being discipled who goes and makes a disciple at a time. Um, Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. I think that's a great lesson in life and it's a great discipleship mantra. Um, Jesus didn't lead Bible studies though. I wanna talk about sharing life for a second. This is a huge way to disciple. He didn't lead Bible studies, he shared his life. He shared his life. What is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9? It is the thing that all Jews say, this is the most important command. Every time Jesus was approached, what's the most important command? He was quizzed by the law keepers of the day. He said this, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And the Shema is that you shall love the Lord your God with everything you are, heart, soul, mind, strength, your power, everything. And then it goes on in those verses that follow to say, and this is what, this is what that looks like. And this is, what, this is what training up those that go and do the same, that love God with everything they are looks like. It looks like walking along the way, sitting down, eating, talking, not talking, and everything you're doing, you're opening up your life, you're teaching your children, and those who are with you about who I am, about my word, about what I'm like. It's in the stuff of life, okay? And that's really what we see Jesus doing. So your disciples should smell like you. I'm talking about not less than a Bible study, I'm talking about more than a Bible study. Your disciples should smell like you. The Jews used to say that the disciples would have the dust of the rabbi on them because they'd be with him so close that the dust that he kicked up would be on them, covering them. So a few a few examples, grocery store, in your home, meals, prayer, when you're walking, when you're driving, when you're going to the movies, when you're washing your car. Fernando is an amazing car washer, I'm just saying. I'm not giving him away because he helps me wash my car and it's beautiful, but we've washed cars together. Whatever you're doing, helping you move. Hey, Justin, if he asks you to help him move, I'm just saying, it's a discipleship move. You might think he's just getting you, he needs a little help, but actually he's discipling you, okay? Okay. Um, and if you're gardening, if you're distilling whiskey, if you're washing dishes, if you're playing with and caring for children, what is all this? This is just stuff we do. That's discipleship stuff. You invite others intentionally that God is bringing around you that you're sharing the gospel with every way into that and you walk with them and you start to smell like them and they like you and you're teaching them to obey everything God's Jesus has commanded and you're sharing the gospel with them. We call this at Sojourn life on life discipleship. And I want to say that one of the best ways this happens is how I just described, but it's not just one-on-one. It can happen really well in something we're going to start calling, some call them micro groups. We're going to call them anchor groups. And some of you are already doing this, and some of you have heard me say this, but don't think of this as one more thing in addition to parish. Think of this as the parish family, and then ways to really, within that, it doesn't have to just be folks in your parish. It could be unbelievers that God's brought into your life. It could be folks in other parishes. But... Two to, two to four to five of you, max, an anchor group. A much smaller group where what? What can happen? Confession of sin, regular confession of sin, praying for one another, accountability, which is confession of sin is part of, deep scripture study, and just spending our lives together. So I want each of us to be worshiping together in a parish family, but then also to be asking the Lord, Lord, who would you, what one to two to three people would you, would you have me be in this micro group or anchor group with? to to see discipleship happen, Lord God. Um, So the gospel, the gospel, what drives all this? Is it just like get out and go multiply? Not at all. If you've heard that, then hear that no longer. The gospel is the engine that drives this multiplication. Think about just briefly, but so importantly, Christ. He's the reason for all this. He's what makes all this work. Think about Philippians 2, that sort of hymn that Paul puts into his letter in Philippians 2, where he says that, Jesus Christ, he says, let the same mind be in you that's in Christ, where he left the riches of heaven. He left them all, and he came down here poor and gave his life away and was crucified on a cross. And because of that, he's been exalted to the highest place. Um, He was born poor, about 20 years of carpentry and stonemasonry, plying a trade. He spent three years with 12 men, more or less, giving his life away, Um, and then he went to the cross. And then he said what? He said, when I am raised up, I will draw all men to myself. There's another all. He said this too. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless the seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. And our tendency, friends, my tendency, my strong tendency in my flesh, 100% of it, is to be a seed going into the ground and just holding on to all that I call mine. Not giving myself away. Not seeing my life as not my own, but seeing my life as my own. Seeing my time as my own. Seeing my resources as my own. And if I do that, guess how fruitful that seed in the ground is gonna be? I've still got my stuff, man. Zero percent fruitful. But if it opens up and dies in the ground, what comes out of it? What comes out of an acorn when it opens up? My kids said this the other day in wonder. That oak tree came from that acorn? Yeah, it had to die though. Isn't that amazing that all that DNA was already in there? And if if we stay like this, And if we refuse to follow this call and really let the death of Christ work out in us through life and fruitfulness and through reproduction, we will just remain like a seed in the ground. Zero productivity, zero fruit. But if we open up and die and realize he has given us all this to give it away, just like he did, because he's done that for us, there is enough potential in one oak tree, and I said this before, but it's true, to reforest the entire planet. Think about how many acorns are in one oak tree. One acorn grows into an oak tree once it dies. And from that oak tree, thousands upon thousands. You ever been in the country and stepped on all the acorns that come from a huge oak tree? There are so, too many to count. It's like grains of the sun. That's just one. And from each of those acorns, there's a potential for an oak tree that produces thousands more. In one acorn, there's the potential to reforest the planet. But first, it has to die. Um, and that's what dialing into this multiplication schema uh, really requires is for us to say that's what he's done for us and that his life in us that's what he's called us to do is to give what we see as ours away because it's not ours so start with an anchor group and a parish family gather weekly for worship and prayer live like the christ carrier that you are Um, gather prayerfully some disciples around you unsaved newly saved mature in christ who knows it could be a smattering Um, that they might begin to smell like you, that you might share life together, and then after a year or two, and from the get-go, you say, this is gonna last this long, as long as God sees fit, but then eventually I want you guys to go and do likewise. And remember these numbers, and we can come back to them, and we'll keep plowing into them in the future, and we'll provide more and more resources on our website together to our parish leaders, to our elder candidates, future elders. Um, Remember that it doesn't look impressive at first, but it is God's plan for the recreation of all things, and it's happening, and we just want to be a part of it um, life on life, so follow me as I follow Christ, but especially let's follow Christ together um, let me let me close this father i uh, I thank you so much for laying your life down that uh, Jesus Father, for sending us your own precious Son. Um, Father, you are a God, you are the God, the only God, and you are, what are you like? You're a God who gave us our lives, you made us. All we have is yours, and then you also are a God who then went on after we turned against you to give us your only Son. And then, Son, to give us your very life um, to become our sin on the cross, our substitutionary sacrifice. Uh, and to endure the hell that we deserved, to stand between us and the just wrath of God Almighty, your Father, um, so that we might know you. You are a giving God. Would you make us a giving people as we seek to obey your command to to all of your followers, to all the redeemed, to all Christians, to go and make disciples, because you have all authority, and you're never gonna leave us or forsake us. You will always be with us, even until the end of the age. So we thank you that you're with us even now. Would you make us a multiplying people in all that we do? In Jesus' name, amen.